0: Of Myeloma Crowd Radio, a show that connects patients with myeloma researchers. I'm your host Jenny Alstrom. This is our hundred and second show, and I'd like to thank our episode sponsor, Takeda Oncology, for their support of Myeloma Crowd Radio. Now, I hope you all enjoyed the recent eclipse because we did. Uh, the Myeloma Crowd hosted an eclipse camp in Rexburg, Idaho, and we raised over eleven thousand dollars for the Myeloma Crowd Research Initiative. This means we've now raised four hundred eighty-eight thousand towards our five hundred thousand dollar goal. And we are only 12,000 away from meeting that goal. As you hopefully know by now, the Myeloma Crowd Research Initiative is funding two immunotherapy projects. One is a CAR T-cell research project at the University of Würzburg in Germany targeting CS1 and BCMA, and the second is called MILS, or Marrow Infiltrating Lymphocytes, which is an immunotherapy used with stem cell transplant from Johns Hopkins. Now, today's show is a fascinating one, which I ran across several months ago. It was an observation that sugar molecules can essentially act as a smoke screen for myeloma cells. And When we posted an article on this, Dr. Michael O'Dwyer from Ireland retweeted the article on Twitter and noted how key this is for myeloma. I had the wonderful opportunity to meet him in person at the European Hematology Meeting in Spain in June and invited him to participate on the show. So, Welcome, Dr. O'Dwyer.
1: Thanks very much, uh, Jenny. I'm delighted to to be on the show.
0: Well, it was so fun to meet you in person and it's wonderful to have you here. So let me just give a brief intro for you and then we'll get started with some of our questions. Um, Dr. Michael O'Dwyer is Director and Founder of the Science Foundation Ireland and Irish Cancer Society Blood Cancer Network and Chair of the Hematology Lymphoma Subgroup of all the Ireland Cooperative Oncology Research Group. He established the Multiple Myeloma Translational Research Program at the National University of Ireland, Galloway, and was the first to run Phase one clinical trials for blood cancers. Dr. O'Dwyer is a professor of hematology at the NUI Galway and, treat- and health research board clinician scientist there as well. He's a visiting scientist at Dana-Farber and the Harvard Medical School. Dr. O'Dwyer has six patent applications, including... Um, a particular marker that you can say and talk about today for multiple myeloma and patents involving natural killer cells. He is co-founder of a company called Oncocellular and Oncimmune, two startup companies focusing on NK cells as anti-cancer therapy. Oncimmune's research is evaluating how NK cells can be optimized for use in myeloma therapy. Dr. O'Dwyer, interestingly, treated the first patient worldwide with an e-selectant inhibitor in AML, which is leukemia, which received breakthrough designation from the FDA, and he'll be sharing a little bit more about that in myeloma, and he's now running the first clinical trial for e-selectant inhibition in multiple myeloma. So welcome, Dr. O'Dwyer. We're just thrilled to have you. Um, We know you have extensive experience in immunotherapies, and are looking forward to understanding this this these sugar molecules a little bit better thanks Jenny so maybe we just want to start um, when I was doing my a little bit of reading it it showed up as being called celiac acid sugars, so maybe you can sialic. just start by
1: uh, sialic sure so it's uh, it's sialic acid, so um, I guess you know if we you know buy you know, something to eat or whatever, and we look at what's on the label and it tells us that there is, you know, you know um, carbohydrates, you know, proteins and fats. Well, basically, you know, our body is made up of these different uh, building blocks along with, you know, essential, you know, minerals and so on. But, you know, carbohydrates is, I suppose, a a, a term that encompasses all types of sugars. And some of our sugars are... Um, you know, for energy, like glucose and so on, and, and uh, glycogen is a storage form um, of, of, of sugar. Um, but there are other sugars that, um, you know, actually have a different function. So, sialic acid is a non-energy type of sugar, and it's normally expressed on the surface of many cells in the body. And um, on the surface of cells, it decorates, you know, proteins and, and lipids or fats on the cell surface. And the addition of, of in fact different types of sugars to proteins or lipids is a process that we call glycosylation. And it's you know sometimes referred to as one form of post translational modification, which means that when you know your genetic code is made into mRNA, which is then made into protein that uh, um, this is a way of further modifying and making uh, even more complex, you know, these these different proteins. Um, so the sh- you know sugar coating of proteins and lipids on the surface of cells uh, can greatly influence the the function and uh, and uh, and so on of 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 these proteins. And an example would be, for example. Um, you know, erythropoietin or EPO, which, you know, some patients with myeloma may sometimes receive to stimulate blood cell production, this protein or growth factor needs to be sugar-coated for it to work properly. The same Mm -hmm. thing with, um, you know, monoclonal antibodies, daratumumab and dilutuzumab, for example, of monoclonal antibodies. These are frequently glycosylated or sugar-coated as well. So basically, sugar, sugar is... Attached to proteins is actually a very, very common thing. Now, if you were to actually look down um, with a very, very powerful microscope, such as an electron microscope, at the surface of cells, what you would see is that they have a kind of a fuzzy outer halo um, on the outside of the cells. And this is actually um, composed of sugars. So when one cell encounters another cell in the body, the first thing that they, they sense, in fact is the the sugar coating on the outside of the other cell. So the sugar composition on the outside of the cell is very, very important in how cells interact with one another. And of the different types of sugars that are involved in, if you like, cell-cell communication or how cells adhere or stick to one another, sialic acid is probably one of the most important sugars. Now, um, in terms of the... The, the binding then or the interaction of proteins that are on one cell interacting with, um, with sialic acid. Um, proteins that bind to specific type of, of sugars are referred to as lectins. And the, this terminology is, I hope it's not sort of too complicated, but there are two different type of proteins or lectins that bind to sialic acid and Um, This is relevant for our further discussion because these two main proteins that bind sialic acid are referred to as the Siglex and the Selectins, and a lot of my uh, research in this area is based around understanding um, how sialic acid on, uh, in this case, myeloma cells uh, interacts with siglex expressed on immune cells or selectins that are uh, expressed on blood vessels.
0: Mhm. Okay. And then, what's the relationship with the um, sialic acid and these siglex and selectins with um, the tumor cells?
1: Yeah. So, um, so then, if we take the you know the siglecs first, so this. The Siglec is a kind of a. The name is a shortened version of sialic acid-binding immunoglobulin-like lectins. So they're, um, they're proteins on the surface of of blood cells, especially immune cells, that have a, a sort of a structure that's similar similar to you know immunoglobulins or antibodies. And these select or Siglecs rather selectively bind uh, sialic acid and particular types uh, of structures that that are coated with with sialic acid. And um, uh, the expression of the Siglex uh, appears to be particularly important on the surface of immune cells, such as macrophages and natural killer cells. And we believe that they play an important role in regulating the immune responsiveness of these cells, and in most cases, the binding to sialic acid um, uh, stimulates the, the, the Siglec, um, which uh, dampens down the immune response, because Siglecs are they're a little bit analogous or similar to PD-1 receptors, so I think many people are probably familiar with you know, the checkpoint um, receptor Mm PD1 that can be expressed on T cells and, and in fact, NK cells as well. So, if you think of, you know, sialic acid on, for example, a a tumor cell, which could be a myeloma cell, and uh, SIGLEX on um, an NK cell, in a way it's a little bit analogous to, you know, PD ligands on a tumor cell interacting with a PD1 checkpoint receptor uh, on. Um, an immune cell. Therefore, I think you know, we can consider that, that Siglecs are you know, somewhat like checkpoint receptors on NK cells, and, and they also seem to play a similar function on, on macrophages.
0: So you have the sialic acid on the myeloma cell and you have this siglec on the immune system cell and what you're saying is they're talking to each other in a certain way depending on how much of each are on each type of cell?
1: Exactly, exactly. Now the an important thing, you know, is that, you know, sialic acid is expressed on the surface of many different cell types. But what is important is that in in cancer that uh, this expression of sialic acid sugars seems to be exaggerated. And, um, you know, why you know, this is, uh, is, is the case, um, we've done a little bit of work, you know, looking at this in myeloma. We have found that um, you know, myeloma tends to have a very high expression of sialic acid and um, it doesn't appear to be due to any mutations um, it doesn’t appear to be due to, you know increased you know, numbers or copies of the genes. It appears to be, you know, more related to um, you know, increased expression of, of the genes. And what we've actually found is that um, you know, some of the factors within the microenvironment, in the tumor microenvironment that we know aren’t a good thing in, in, in myeloma such as You know, cytokines or, you know, things like interleukin-6, you know, IGF or insulin-like growth factor, and, um, you know, low levels of oxygen or hypoxia, all things that we know are bad in in myeloma that that drive more aggressive disease, all of these things are associated with stimulation of the the genes that are um, code for the enzymes that are involved in Generating sialic acid on the surface, and uh, these enzymes are referred to as sialyl transferases.
0: Hmm. So, is this true for everybody? So, what you're saying is, regardless of the genetic features that you have for your type of myeloma, that you find that everyone or just some people have this increased level of sialic acid.
1: No,
0: I think these sugars on uh, their I I
1: think that 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 what we um, uh, um, what we find is a is a variable level of expression, and in you know in some cases you know it does appear to be much higher um, um, than in others, and um, you know kind of our our own sort of you know meeting you know, it was a little bit serendipitous in a way, but in fact, how I got into this area in the very beginning uh, was really quite serendipitous as well because I'm a hematologist. In fact, I started my, my, my um, career initially in CML, in chronic myeloid leukemia. I, I worked, um, you know, as a fellow and subsequently as a junior faculty on the development of Matinib, which was the first you know, kinase inhibitor uh, for CML with my mentor, Brian Drucker in Oregon, you know, back in the, um, you know, early sort of, you know, uh, 2000s. But, um, you know, when I was, you know, resurrecting my uh, academic career in Galway, I had a sort of a chance uh, encounter Mm -hmm. with a glycobiologist. Now, glycobiology is the study of the biology of sugars, and over a cup of coffee, we were kind of sharing experiences with each other, and you know what our respective areas of of, of interest were in terms of um, in his case glycobiology, in my case, um, blood cancers and leukemia and myeloma and when he started explaining to me what sugars did, immediately, I thought you know it 's very likely that they must play a role in what we call adhesion-mediated drug resistance. So when, you know, cancer cells stick down on a surface, they often, you know, in the bone marrow or on blood vessels, they often become more resistant to chemotherapy. So that's what sort of stirred my interest originally, and um, uh, my colleague, uh, Lokesh Joshi, and I decided that, you know, we'd put together a project, and we had a very bright, Young hematologist um, called Siobhan Blavi, who subsequently went to to work with Irene Gobriel at the Dana Farber, and in collaboration with Irene Gobriel and Gareth Morgan, we had access to sort of more resources than we would have had, you know, here uh, in Galway. And what we we found was that a number of different sugar-related genes were important, um, but the one that caught our eye as being you know important in terms of its impact on survival Um, when we looked at Gareth Morgan's UK um, data from one of the big myeloma trials that they did in the UK was this gene called ST3-GAL6. So it is a sialyl transferase, so one of these enzymes that put sialic acid on the surface of cells. Now, what we found was that there was a range of expression of this enzyme in patients, um, but um, if you looked at those patients who had the higher levels of expression, that um, they had a, 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 a much worse um, uh, overall survival and a shorter, you know, time to progression on treatment. And when we looked at the time at, you know, other factors that could be, you know, responsible for, you know, uh, poor prognosis, such as, you know, genetic factors and, um, you know, stage of disease and everything, the expression level of this particular uh, um, gene, the sidal transferase, was in fact independent of those other recognized hmm. risk factors. so we thought that this was you know, this was quite important, quite uh, novel because it was the first time really that something like this had been implicated in multiple myeloma
0: that 's so fascinating, so what you 're saying is the more the more of this Expression that you see of that particular gene, or um, that then the, the lower the immune response, or the more drug resistant it tends well, to be?
1: Well, well um, the, what I'm, I suppose, more, uh, I feel I'm on steadier ground when I, when I talk about the, the, the drug resistance because our um, research is at a more advanced stage than our, our work on on the immune side of it, but we have um, growing data supporting um, um, the fact that increased silylation um, or expression of silic acid on the myeloma cells does impair the function of immune cells. We, we have strong data in the laboratory uh, uh, to support that. But um, we need to extend that, I think, a bit further and show in animal models, for example, that that is definitely the case. But we can take parallels from other cancers, and you know, some very you know nice work has been done um, in you know in other settings, such as in you know kidney cancer or in you know breast cancer, showing that. Um, Uh, the expression of um, sialic acid on the surface of tumor cells uh, is associated with um, reduced responsiveness of natural killer cells, for example. And um, and Caroline Bertozzi from Stanford had a very nice paper in the reputable journal PNAS uh, back in September, I believe, where she showed a very um, interesting approach where they used um, um, a monoclonal antibody uh, herceptin or uh, you nerutuzumab know, you know which is which which targets the her2 new um, you know antigen in breast cancer And with this with the antibody what they did was they um, they conjugated or or added to the antibody um, an enzyme known as sialidase. Now, this is an enzyme that actually removes sialic acid, you know, cleaves it off or removes it from the surface of the cell. And when the antibody was combined with this enzyme that removed sialic acid from the cell surface, they saw much greater enhancement of of killing of breast cancer cells by the HER2 antibodies, in the presence of natural killer cells. Now, I should explain, maybe, in just in case people um, aren't aware of, you know, one of the main mechanisms that, that antibodies use, that monoclonal antibodies use to kill tumor cells, is um, uh, activating uh, natural killer cells. So when an antibody binds to, a, you know, its target on the surface of a, of a tumor cell, um, the natural killer cells are then able to recognize the antibodies by, because they have receptors for antibodies on their surface. And they can then bind to the tumor cell via the antibodies and release their toxic payload of, of, of granules into the tumor cell that kills the tumor cell. So basically, in the absence of the sialic acid, using this, this novel antibody, um, there was very significant enhancement of the killing of these breast cancer cells um, by uh, um, natural killer cells. So, so it's kind of like
0: wiping a, wiping a clean slate, kind of, so to let the yes, natural killer cells exactly, do their job.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. So what we have done um, in my lab is, first of all, we have seen that um, myeloma cells now, initially, we just looked at cell lines, but we saw that all the cell lines that we looked at express the types of sialic acid that will bind to Siglecs. So we refer to these as Siglec ligands. So we found that myeloma cells express these quite strongly. Then we decided, well, you know, that's all well and good, but these are only cell lines. So we look at patient samples, and we found that in patient samples that we can also see that uh, these sugars that bind to these Siglecs are also present on the surface of of patient samples. But we also looked at uh, natural killer cells from from patients, both uh, in the blood and in the bone marrow. And in all the samples that we've looked at, we can see that there's strong expression of Siglecs on the patient's natural killer cells. Now, we then um, have, have gone and looked at uh, uh, natural killer cells in the laboratory, and we have shown that um, when you uh, treat, pre-treat myeloma cells with an inhibitor that removes the sialic acid from the myeloma cell, and that in itself, you know, isn't in any way toxic to the myeloma cell, and combine then or, you know, put the myeloma cells in contact with the natural killer cells in what we call a co-culture, that the natural killer cells are much more efficient at killing the myeloma once this cloak of sugars has been removed from the surface of the myeloma cell. So we, we think that this, um, uh you know is important we um, you know an important way for myeloma cells to evade killing by natural killer cells, of course, um, you could argue, well, maybe there's some other reason why removing the sugars has made the cells more sensitive to to killing so what we also did is we used a genetic approach um, uh, to um, you know, actually knock down um, the expression or reduce the expression of the Siglec the Siglec receptors on the natural killer cells, and we saw a um, uh, something similar that there again there's enhancement of killing of um, uh, myeloma cells by natural killer cells when you reduce the expression of the these Siglec receptors. So. Again, it's a little bit like you know if you were to use you know a, a, a PD one inhibitor um, um, you know targeting PD one on a T cell or if you were to use a PDL one antibody or inhibitor you know targeting PDL one on the tumor cell, that you know you'd expect to see you know an enhanced effect and, and this is what we've seen.
0: Mm-hmm. So a, qu- a couple questions. Um, first, how do you measure for this? This the thing you called ST3GAL6. How how do you how do you? Because you said in different patients you saw different levels of this. Yes. And and might that be an indication for a patient to go? Oh, this is why I'm not responding to my drugs, or or why I'm becoming resistant to my drugs. I have too much of this, and that's why.
1: Well, I That's think, you know, um, while, while, of course, you know, I have a particular interest in, in, in this particular gene, this is one of many, many genes that, you know, uh, um, could be playing a role in any individual patient. Um, so I wouldn't want to overstate the importance of this gene in isolation, but but, but certainly, um, uh, one way of assessing the, the level of expression of, of this mm-hmm. gene would be by doing gene expression profiling. Um, mm-hmm. Another way is uh, to, um, to look at um, the levels of RNA by a technique known as RNA sequencing. Now, um, in an individual patient, the... Um, you know the value of looking at this is it's difficult i think things like gene expression are probably more applicable to if you like a population or the whole group of patients and looking at a you know a, a level among a large group of patients rather than and seeing the significance of high versus low rather than just trying to personalize this i don't I think we're some way away from using these technologies on an individual patient basis. But what I can tell you is that um, we, uh, the, you know, the expression of the ST3-Gal6 is more important, really, for the generation of the um, sialic acid that would bind to selectins rather than to Siglex. Now, selectins are... Um, uh, these are uh, proteins that are on the walls of, of blood vessels, always expressed on the walls of blood vessels or endothelial cells in um, the bone marrow, but are also um, you know expressed in blood vessels in inflamed tissues. Now, um, myeloma cells express um, a type of sialic acid. Linked to another sugar called fucose, and this this combination um, uh, gives rise to something that we call a selectin ligand, ligand rather. So it's a it's a sugar that will stick or bind to uh, E-selectin, wh- which is on the walls of, of the blood vessels. And basically, what what this interaction uh, serves to 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 do is to slow down um, blood cells as they're traveling through the circulation or indeed tumor cells. And in fact, in the small little blood vessels, uh, bl- blood cells are traveling along at a couple of hundred miles an hour, literally. So if a, if a blood cell is to get out of the circulation, for example, into the bone marrow, it has to slow down, stop, and then exit. And selectins. By binding to, uh, you know, these selectin ligands on the surface of cells, allow the cells to slow down and stop. And we think that E-selectin plays an important role in how the myeloma cell exits the circulation and gets into the bone marrow. So it's functioning as a gateway into the bone marrow. And you know, some years ago, um, uh, you know, I think we would have thought that you know, myeloma is just, you know, little pockets of disease that stay resident in different sites in in, in the bone marrow, but the idea that that cells would leave the bone marrow, go into the blood, circulate, you know, and end up in another site of the bone marrow wasn't something that people, you know, really, you know, considered, but Mm work by people like Irene Gobriel has shown that, in fact, you know, circulation from one bone marrow site to another is actually a very important feature of, of myeloma. And we think that these selects and ligands play an important role in that circulation and certainly in how myeloma cells get back into the bone marrow. And so this ST3-GAL6, by, um, you know, high levels of this will Lead to, we think, higher levels, probably, of the, you know, these E-selectin ligands that participate in this, in this process. And once, you know, cells are in, you know, then in the bone marrow, and perhaps in contact as well with E-selectin, they can be more uh, resistant to chemotherapy. So this is, you know, a drug resistance behaviour that is actually quite separate from the immune resistance. So um, uh, I've been collaborating with a company called Glycomimetics, a small uh, uh, Maryland-based company who, um, as the name implies, they are in the business of developing small molecule mimics of sugars. And what they have actually developed is a small molecule that um, is sort of a, a mimic of sialic acid or, uh, and, uh, and fucose that, that, that basically binds to, uh, or blocks rather, the binding um, to e-selectin. So it's an e-selectin inhibitor. And working with this company, what we were able to show is that when you take myeloma cell lines, and uh, if you look at cell lines, um, uh, that, that we study in the laboratory, uh, they don't actually express uh, a very high level of these um, um, particular selectin ligands, the e-selectin ligands. But it's possible to, to purify the cells that are positive for these particular you know, sugars. And when you put those myeloma cells into mice, uh, very interestingly, the myeloma is completely resistant to bortezomib.
0: Hmm. Now, wow.
1: if if then if then you um, um, add in this e-selectin inhibitor, the um, the basically you reverse the resistance. The, the 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 myeloma is now sensitive again to the bortezomib. So. We believe that uh, in this case, that these particular E-selectin ligands um, on the surface of myeloma cells may uh, play a role. I'm not saying uh, it's a very be a very big leap to say that this is the reason for bortezomib resistance, but may play a role in some cases in uh, in in the resistance. To bortezomib, so um, if you know uh, myeloma cells have lots of these sugars, maybe they're more uh, um, likely to stay in the bone marrow um, where they're, you know, more resistant uh, to uh, to chemotherapy. But if we can block um, that sort of gateway into the bone marrow when the cells are circulating, and more and more of them accumulate. Outside the bone marrow, then they're more vulnerable to, you know, treatments uh, like bortezomib. So
0: yeah, you can um, kill them easier.
1: So, so you know, you mentioned, um, you know, the uh, the experience briefly in AML, and by getting involved with the company, um, you know, a few years ago, they invited me because I have you know, an interest in leukemia as well uh, to to get involved in um, their first clinical trial in, in AML. And so we were, um, you know, lucky enough to treat the very first patient ever treated with an e-selectin inhibitor um, here in Ireland for the treatment of, of, of AML. And um, uh, that drug basically has... Uh, shown sufficiently promising activity in AML, and in AML, it's thought, again, that expression of these sugars, you know, selectin ligands on the surface of the AML cells um, uh, that this binding to e-selectin is mediating resistance. So there is very good data in AML now that um, it's safe to give this drug in combination with standard intensive chemotherapy, and that this increases the response rate over and above what, you know, would have been expected uh, in relapsed AML patients, and in fact, um, it's extremely well-tolerated as well, um, to the extent that this, this compound in some way seems to actually uh, provide some uh, protection. Against uh, uh, the development of a complication known as mucositis, which is, you know, inflammation of of the gut, and anybody who's had a you know a stem cell transplant for multiple myeloma um, is probably familiar with, with mucositis right. because he probably had it. Um, so uh, it, it turns out that that um, uh, mucositis uh, part of the problem is that. Uh, you get inflammation in the gut from the chemotherapy. And one of the um, mediators of inflammation are macrophages. And macrophages actually um, migrate to the, 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 the site of inflammation. And as I mentioned earlier, that you know, and blood vessels in inflamed tissues increase the expression of e-selectin. So you get these inflammatory cells moving to the you know the location of infl- excuse me of inflammation, and this can be stopped by using this small molecule inhibitor so in a way it 's the best of both worlds that you're able to um, enhance the effect of the chemotherapy while at the same time you know mitigating you know uh, to some extent the side effects of the chemotherapy so as I said based on the promising data in In AML, the the drug now has breakthrough uh, designation in relapsed and refractory AML. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've recently um, initiated a trial with GMI-1271 in multiple myeloma with glycomimetics. And, um, well, I should say they have initiated a trial, um, but I'm uh, leading the study and it's very, very early days yet. We've only enrolled a few patients so far. Um, but other sites are um, coming on board um, outside of Ireland, in Germany, in the UK, and in Denmark. And hopefully before long, we'll have you know, greater patient numbers and some, some data to share
0: so for that study, how, how is the study um, created? You're using this for this uh, E-selectin inhibitor for relapse. I'm assuming like relapsed refractory myeloma patients. Are well, they getting well, any well, other well, treatments actually, with it, or
1: no? Actually, um, at the moment, I think because which is a great thing because there's a, a wealth of of different uh, uh, agents available now to to test. In, in, in patients with relapsed multiple myeloma and you know more and more promising things becoming available by the day, that um, how to fit in an agent like this is a challenge. So one of the things I would point out is that this drug on its own uh, would not be expected to have any activity in multiple myeloma. What it's doing effectively really is, if you like, blocking the stickiness of the cells to the Mm -hmm. blood vessels, and um, it's sensitizing the cells to treatment, but it's not actually uh, killing any cells on its own. (coughs) So, what what we decided to do was to do a study uh, looking at this in patients who um, um, had less aggressive relapse. So, um, patients who were in in relapse, so, so there are basically two categories: patients who are in relapse who were responding slowly to a proteasome inhibitor, so less than a um, less than a VGPR after three cycles of treatment. Now that could be with that's um, like a partial a partial
0: response, right? A if very, people
1: don't so, know what so, VGPR is, yeah. So VGPR, so a very good partial response. So anything less then a very good partial response within three cycles of proteasome inhibitor-based therapy. So it could be bortezomib or Velcage. It could be, you know, kyprolis or carfilzomib. And those patients then um, are, you know, considered, you know, eligible or potentially eligible, providing they fulfill other uh, sort of standard criteria. So that's one patient population. And then the second Patient population are patients who are slowly biochemically relapsing. So somebody maybe who's been on Velcade who has achieved a response but is now slowly starting to lose that response. But there's no end organ damage, just that their M protein is starting to slip a little bit. Um, Those are the categories of patients and the intention is simply to add in the investigational agent on top of the existing treatment that the patient is already getting. So, therefore, that makes sense. You know, so therefore if a patient is slowly responding is sort of like in a way hit a wall that their, their M protein just isn't dropping any further. And now we add in this drug and with continued therapy, their M protein then starts dropping. Well, it's, you know, okay, it's not definite, but, um, you know, it, it, there's a stronger argument that the that the only change really was the introduction of the new inhibitor. And the same, you know, if we see somebody who's biochemically relapsing and then that their M protein sort of turns the corner and starts coming back down again, the only thing we've done different is to add in the new um, e-selectin inhibitor. So, it, you know, it's a challenging study. I, I you know i kind of won't uh dispute that it's going to take i think a while to you know build up you know experience uh with this and you know we we with our first few patients we've also started with a, a somewhat lower dose than was eventually found to be you know the best dose in AML so it's a phase 1 study so it's going to take a little bit of time to learn how best to to use this drug. It's also um at the present time it's an intravenous infusion so it takes you know about you know twenty or thirty minutes to give this as a short infusion and it's delivered the day of and the day after uh you know treatment so um it, it you know it, it, it could be more convenient um you know I think the development of, for example, a subcutaneous formulation. um, And of course, the Holy Grail would be uh, an oral um, drug. But I think for something like this that works in this way, that would probably be challenging. So I think probably the best that we're likely to get to is, in the short term at least, is a a subcutaneous formulation. Um, But, um, um, you know, it's likely that this drug will be Um, explored in, you know, other settings in in myeloma, Um, but, uh, you know, we have to kind of go with the data, the preclinical data that we have for the time being, and the data that we have, you know, uh, most strongly, you know, justified, uh, you know, trying to reverse, you know, resistance to proteasome inhibitors.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds really exciting. So it sounds like you're working on two different but kind of complementary approaches. So getting rid of the sialic acid on the cells so that NK cells can do their work, and then this e-selectin, e-selectin inhibitors that basically clear the path so the blood can keep flowing and they don't have a chance to escape into the bone marrow. I have a prior question about the sialic acid. So you said yeah. when you... When you basically clear it off, um, then the NK cells can kind of do their work. so if you wipe out this sialic acid on on all cells, is there any downside to doing that and yeah, then that, um, a, is there very... anything in clinical trials that is happening on that right now
1: yeah so that, that's a very, very good question, and um, uh, I have been you know collaborating um, uh, with uh, investigators from um, Scripps uh, in San Diego who developed a, um, a, a transferase inhibitor, so uh, you know, a drug that actually blocks the enzyme activity uh, of um, uh, the different uh, sialic acid um, um, enzymes, and um, if you give this drug in uh, you know in high doses. Uh, to mice, it's very, very effective at removing um, sialic acid from cells. And, you know, sialic acid is present on normal B cells, T cells, um, but uh, it's also, you know, present on cells in, in, for example, in the brain, in the kidney, in the liver. And um, the single most important, uh, you know, toxic side effect um, when this drug was, you know, delivered uh, in, uh, to mice, um, was uh, a reduction of um, cilylation in the kidney. And this led to um, a major leak of protein inflammation and a protein leak, something that we call, you know, nephrotic or nephritic syndrome. So uh, basically um, uh, it, it caused, um, you know, fatal uh, kidney damage to the mice in very high doses. Now, when you give uh, smaller doses, and you, may, you know, you may not need to give those really high doses. It may be possible, and it's something that we are actively exploring in in animal studies. So, I have a a good collaborator uh, in um, uh, in Maine, Michaela Reagan, who who used to work with Irene Gobriel, and we're collaborating because she has a lot of experience with with animal models, um, looking at the ability to, if you like, if you'd excuse the pun, to find a sweet spot where we can (laughs) deliver just enough of the drug uh, to get the desired effect without causing any of the the unwanted side effects. But, of course, there's an entirely other approach that can be used as well, since we're dealing with a, a disease that, you know, involves the bone marrow, if we could selectively, you know, deliver uh, the bone or the drug, rather, to, uh, to the bone marrow and avoid exposure to the kidneys, then there shouldn't be such a problem. Um, you know, right, effect, that'd be great. The, effect does, the effect does wear off. So, um, you know, we, we will get enough of an effect uh, by delivering this to the bone marrow that potentially – You know, we could, you know, recalibrate the immune system. We could affect, you know, drug resistance, and maybe if we followed up with a bit of bortezomib, that, um, you know, we we clear out a lot of the um, the myeloma that is resistant because of, you know, binding to e-selectin, but also that um, uh, by hopefully reactivating the immune system, we are now able to, you know, engage the natural killer cells and um, uh, and maybe macrophages as well, and, and we think that this big leg phenomenon is important in on macrophages as well. So um, we're we're looking, we're exploring ways. And in the university here in Galway, we have a large biomaterials group, and I'm actively collaborating with the director of a very large. Um, uh, um, uh, network called CURAM, which is the Irish for I think for cure, which is all about biomaterials. So Professor Abbe Pandit and myself are trying to develop a nanoparticle delivery strategy that could selectively deliver, uh, you know, a payload of a sial transferase inhibitor into the bone marrow as 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 one you know possible approach. Another approach though that I alluded to. Um, uh, that, you know, Carlin Bertozzi is pursuing in Stanford is to, uh, you know, use antibodies as a means of, of delivering, um, uh, you know, an enzyme like, like Saladase. And, you know, you could imagine, well, you know, we have a number of, of antibodies that work quite well in, in, in myeloma as it is, but you, ima- you could imagine that maybe you could potentiate the effect of those antibodies even more by adding some salad days or something to them and, and, and targeting the myeloma cells directly.
0: Yeah, then they'd be more targeted. So one question that we haven't talked about that I know probably everyone thought about when they heard that we were doing a show on sugar molecules is, is a patient's diet relevant at all? If someone, you've heard, you know, a lot of us have heard well, sugar feeds cancer, and maybe that's because that's why there are more sugar molecules on top of these cells. Do you want to discuss that? Because I think that's um, something yeah, really um, important for patients to understand.
1: Yeah, I think um, as I said at the outset that there are different types of sugars, and you know the sugars are a very large family. And yes, sialic acid is a is a type of sugar. But what a sugar really is, it's a it's a sort of a compound that's made up of, um, in a particular structure of uh, carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen, um, you know, molecules. And there's many different types of sugars. Then we have what we call monosaccharides, polysaccharides, and and so on. And you know, glucose. Um, is a very specific, you know, fructose. People have heard of, you know, high fructose, corn syrup, and so on. These are very, very, you know, they're high-energy types of glucose or of, of sugar, rather, that are, are specifically there to kind of, for the purposes of energy. And, and this is obviously too much of these in the diet, um, you know, is what's, you know, linked to, you know, ob- obesity and everything. Um, mm-hmm. But sialic sciatic acid isn't really linked to, to the diet, um, um, as far as I'm aware anyway. But in terms, though, of, um, you know, certainly the link uh, between, you know, obesity and immunity and cancer, um, I did, um, um, that time we met in, in, in Madrid, I, uh, I'd actually attended uh, a session there where I heard quite an interesting talk uh, from a lady from MD Anderson, and uh, she was talking about um, uh, how obesity and, uh, you know, uh, kind of a high sort of fat and high sugar diet uh, in mice can lead to changes in the immune system. And one of the things that she uh, discussed was the uh, development of, of an increase in myeloid derived suppressor cells. Now, and there's a lot are, of, of, of literature, and there's certainly increasing literature, about myeloid-derived suppressor cells in multiple myeloma, and they're, you know, a, a, one of the, the bad cells that's in the, in the microenvironment in, in the bone marrow in, in, in myeloma. And these myeloid-derived suppressor cells, they <laughs> express, you know, PD ligands they also encourage the development of, um, you know, regulatory T cells, which are the the type of T cells you don't want because they're dampening down your immune response. They're they're you know reducing the number of your your sort of active cytotoxic or you know killer T cells, and they're also actually dampening the activity of the NK cells. So. Um, you know, in that sort of way, um, uh, not related, you know, to sialic acid, but certainly, you know, obesity and, um, you know, too much sugar and everything um, and have, you know, very detrimental effects on the immune system that can ultimately, uh, you know, promote cancer.
0: Mm -hmm. So that's the, I guess that's the key point is regardless of whether it causes more sialic acid or not, it's still important to just be healthy and exactly. to eat a low-fat, healthy diet and probably exercise. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. So interesting. Yeah, it's so very interesting. Well. Um, I want to open it up for the opportunity for people to ask questions of you. So if you have a question for Dr. O'Dwyer, you can call 347-637-2631. And then I have one follow-up question if if everyone's shy. We have a lot of callers on the line, so just press 1 on your keypad if you would like to ask him a question. And then in the meantime, while we're waiting, I would like to ask about, I saw on your research that there was um, some kind of NCI match signal finding trial. And I just wanted to ask you about that because it looks really, really interesting.
1: Um, well, I, I, I'm not sure where you saw that, but I'm not personally involved oh, in,
0: okay. in that.
1: But I, I do know what it is. Um, it's where, you know, uh, across, a number of different, you know, cancer uh, types that, you know, if, if people aren't responding to to standard treatments, but they're found to have, you know, a specific mutation or, you know, that usually a mutation that might be, um, you know, responsive to a number of different investigational or other agents that are out there then, um, you know, patients can be enrolled on this study. So there's, a, you know, a large panel of different kinase inhibitors, for example, you know, targeting things like BRAF, um, you know, there's an, mm-hmm. um, a kinase called ALK, you know, various different things that um, aren't necessarily, you know, expressed in just one cancer that can be expressed across, across a range of different cancers. So, for example, you know, um, everybody's, you know, very familiar, I think, with, um, you know, um, BRAF as being a, a, an important target for um, malignant melanoma. And, you know, people sometimes confuse myeloma with melanoma, but in fact, you know, a small proportion, maybe 5% of patients with multiple myeloma, especially in the high risk, kind of relapsed, uh, um, phase and particularly enriched, I think, in patients with extramedullary disease can have um, a BRAF mutation. So it's not something that's exclusive to, you know, melanoma. So if, for example, you know, somebody happened to have some sequencing done or had a mutation found, um, and you know there was a there, there was a drug on this list that uh, could be useful to them, um, then they could potentially get on that uh, NCI-MATCH trial.
0: Okay, that and I, I
1: believe that myeloma is one of the diseases that uh, is on the list.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, well I have one final question. I think everyone's being very shy. So I have one final question for you. If the, When you talked about the um, technology to kind of clear up the sialic acid and how you're testing it in lower doses and things, where does that stand in terms of clinical trials, and when do you anticipate that coming to clinical trials?
1: I think we're a long way, to be honest, from, from mm. that. Um, I think uh, if, if we can, you know, show um, in the research that we're doing in, in you know, animal studies that, that this is something that, that really does work, um, uh, then uh, what we would need to do is, you know, potentially, uh, I suppose, patent this or license this technology to, um, you know, a, uh, a pharmaceutical company, uh, you know, who have the deep pockets to actually, um, you know, do the necessary uh, work that would get this all the way to a clinical trial. So um, I think... We're really exploring at this stage more, you know, the biology and understanding, you know, the importance of of sialic acid on um, myeloma, um, but we're a long way, I think, from, you know, uh, actually translating this into uh, a, a clinical trial. Um, I think, though, that um, some of the, there are other approaches, and I mentioned, um, you know, the, the possibility of, um, of instead of removing the, uh, the sialic acid from the surface of, of the cells, if you wanted to, if this turns out to be important in, in, in myeloma, and, of course, I emphasize we've only done, you know, work in, in the test tube, if you like, in the laboratory, but if it turned out that this was really important, we can actually knock out the receptors on the NK cells and um, oh, you know, uh, and and that's something that that, Do it backwards, that you know, kind could be done done in a much faster way and could get actually to the clinic much much faster.
0: That's really fascinating that you could go from the immune system side and not from the yep. sugar cell side. Interesting. Wow. Well, it's. What you're working on is just so fascinating. It sounds like the e-selectin um, inhibitors are a little bit closer, or a lot closer, because now they're in clinical trials. But um, we just wanted to thank you so much for joining the show and for your participation and explaining all of this new, because this represents really a completely new drug class for well, a group of drugs.
1: I want to thank you for the you know, opportunity, if you like to, uh, you know, to share what we're doing. Um, I, I do emphasise it. It is, you know, really, you know, relatively early compared, probably to, you know, most of the speakers you have on your show. Probably, their work is at a much, you know, uh, later stage and kind of more accepted than that. And we've a lot to do, I think, to really validate this and show that. Uh, this will ultimately, you know, be of value to patients. But, you know, we have to start somewhere, and I think for the time being, at least, we're on the right track.
0: Oh yeah, it sounds fantastic, and I think this just goes to show how complicated the whole thing is. I mean, why, why some people respond and why some don't, why some people become resistant, and why some don't, and so what you're doing is really important. Well, thank you. Well, we have a uh, caller question at 561 1149. Go ahead with your question. Hello? Oh, they dropped. Okay, caller at 847
2: 5748. Go ahead with your question. Yeah, Hi, uh, Dr. I was to have uh, to carry the BRAF mutation. Um, and my question is it's what. Um, Step in uh in the patient's uh, treatment um, um, plan. Uh, does it make sense given the uh, multitude of other um, available treatments? Does it make sense to try the um, the agents that um, um, are found to carryers um, uh, of the BRCA mutations? At what point, myeloma? And these um, individuals to to try those um, um, like inhibitors, inhibitors, etc.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I think there are people like uh, Mark Rab and Gareth Morgan who have, you know, personal experience of, of using, you know, B inhibitors, uh, you know, in in this situation. And I think, um, you know, I have no personal experience of doing this. But I, I, I think the general concept is mm-hmm. that just because you find a mutation, you know, in a you know, in a patient, doesn't necessarily mean that that's what's driving their disease.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: I, I think the clinical context is very important. I think in a you know in a, in a in a patient that's got extramedullary disease, where they have very explosive disease that's you know rapidly progressing and where you find that, you know, it looks like a high proportion of the cells are BRAF mutated, then it makes perfect sense to use a, a BRAF inhibitor. And in that situation, um, you know, clinical, you know, very good clinical responses have been seen. Um, but, of course, it, you know, because of the nature of clonal evolution and everything, it's inevitable that as you, you know you suppress that clone but then you know in time another clone that's braf negative is probably going to take its place and take over again so you know the responses aren't going to be durable but you can get a very you know good response for a period of time but if it's just there in a minority of the cells and is not what's actually driving then um you know it, it probably doesn't make much sense, and I think you know I started my career you know with imatinib in what is a fairly you know homogeneous disease where you 've got a single kinase that if you target it sufficiently well, you can get you know excellent durable responses. I think you know when we all know that that myeloma is so complicated you know genetically that you you probably you know need to be hitting multiple different things at the same time. And the more specific your treatment is, you know, the less likely it is to be successful. So it's really combinations of things, uh, probably and bringing in, I mean, immunotherapy, for example, is one aspect, but it's not the the sole aspect. Um, I think the more angles that you can hit the disease from, the better.
2: Right, and just as a follow-up, how, how can one determine whether a particular mutation, such as the BRAF, is the driving mutation for a patient's uh, myeloma? Um,
1: I, I, I again, you know, I wouldn't have personal experience of doing this type of analysis, but I'm sure you can probably, you know, uh, look at and you know, identify different clones that are present. You can probably sequence and see. You know what proportion of the disease that's there is actually you know positive for that particular mutation, and if it if it looks like it's the dominant clone across you know or the dominant mutation rather across all the different cells that you're looking at, well then um, you know it, it makes sense to to treat that. But if it's only present in a you know a minority of of the cells, um, you know probably doesn't that there are other clones that are probably more important.
2: Thank you. Okay, thank you so much for your
0: question. Well, Dr. Erdweyer, thank you so much for joining us today, and um, we just wish you well in your wonderful work.
1: Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure.
0: Oh, thank you so much. And thank you, our callers, for listening to My Little My Crowd Radio. Tune in next time to learn more about the latest my, in my little research and what it means for you.